You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. You know, I think it would be good for all of us to take some time out regularly, and I'm encouraging you to do it a lot more than just every seven years, but just to review your commitment to serve God from time to time. Just take that time out, you know, as a reminder of what God has done, your relationship with Him, and the commitment that you made to serve Him, to want to know Him, to make yourself available to do whatever you can possibly do to just further the kingdom of God upon the earth. The nation of Israel had national feasts to commemorate all that God had done for them. During these celebrations, the Israelites would also renew their covenant with God. While these feasts are no longer decreed for us who live under the new covenant, Pastor Mike encourages us today to take time and remember the commitment we made to Christ. It can be easy to get caught up in the busyness of life, but from time to time we ought to honor what Christ has done for us and remember our decision to follow Him. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Kings chapter 8 as he begins his message, A Very Special Day. your Bibles, and we'll pick up where we left off last time. We're in the book of 1 Kings, and we're in chapter 8. So the text that we're going to be treating is found in verses 1 through 13 of 1 Kings chapter 8, and this message, the title is, A Very Special Day. So let's go ahead and read that text, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. So 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in the city of Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion, or the city of Jerusalem. Therefore all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, we'll talk about that in just a moment, which is the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all of the holy furnishings, we'll talk about those furnishings in just a moment, that were there in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also, King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel, who were assembled with him, were with them before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen, that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. So quite a scene playing out here there in verse 5. 
Then the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple, that is the Holy of Holies, to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside, and they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb, that is where God had given his people Israel the Ten Commandments, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. That's a reference to the Shekinah glory and presence of God amongst them. So that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud that is the presence of the Lord. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon spoke and he said, The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Father, we pray now that you bless our time together. God, as we study your word, as we treat this text of scripture, God would appeal to your Holy Spirit, who is the great teacher, to open it up to us. God, to give us understanding. Lord, to learn all of the lessons that are contained within it. Lord, to receive all of the exhortations, encouragements. Father, we pray that you tailor this message to meet specific needs. Lord, we thank you again for providing this opportunity. Now, Lord, minister to each one in that very relevant and personal way. And God, as always, I'd ask that my words would be your words. God, help me to say only those things that you want me to say and share. God, we thank you again. Bless now. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again, this message, the title is A Very Special Day. Now, I want to begin this message by sharing an observation with you. In life's experience, there are just, you know, your bland, ordinary, run-of-the-mill kinds of days, just the usual. You know, you get up in the morning, you clean up, you get a bite to eat, you go off to work, you spend some eight to ten hours at your places of employment. You come home from work, if you're not working at home. You make your meal. You maybe, I hopefully, maybe get back into the Word a little bit, turn on the TV, watch basketball or whatever you prefer, and then you go back to sleep. And then you get up the next morning and do it all over again. Just the usual, sort of like a, you know, bland, kind of an ordinary, run-of-the-mill day. But then there are, in our life's experience, those special days where we look back upon them as the highlights of our lives. Like, for example, a wedding, the birth of our children. Probably the best of all experiences, the day that we came face to face with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and invited him to come and be the Lord and Savior of our lives. And I bet that if given the opportunity, every one of you would be able to stand and share that personal testimony of how God just brought you to that wonderful place, the excitement, the joy, the blessing. Well, the record of what we have here in chapter 8, here in 1 Kings, was considered by Israel one of those special days. For them, it was a day of days. Solomon's beautiful temple is now complete, is furnished, and is about to be dedicated to the Lord. 
and everything associated with this dedication is absolutely spectacular. If you think about it in this way, it's sort of like on the scale, something that you can relate to, on the scale of the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. And so all the joyous celebrations, the feastings and, and all, people are just overwhelmed by what's going on and taking place. So let me ask you this question. What made this day so remarkable? What made this day so special? Well, there were three reasons, and all of those three reasons actually become three points in our message. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down all three of them. The first of which is, first of all, this was a special day because of the timing of it, when it was scheduled. Let's go back to our text. Notice once again in verse 2. Let's read that one more time. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month, or the month of October, during the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this is significant. And what's interesting about this is that the temple had already been completed 11 months earlier, according to chapter 6 and verse 38. So then, that raises the question, why dedicate the temple at the same time as the Feast of Tabernacles? Why wait? And what was this feast all about? Why was it so special? Well, first of all, let me say a little background about the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacles was a feast that commemorated the time when Israel's forefathers moved into those permanent dwellings in the land of Canaan after years, 40 years in all, of living in temporary tents there in the wilderness. But there was something else about this. Now remember, God had just provided himself a temple whereby the people could actually meet with God. It wasn't a temporary, but it was a permanent dwelling place. So that's the first reason why Solomon waited for the Feast of Tabernacles before the temple was dedicated. But also, the Feast of Tabernacles, and this is also significant, was also significant because God had demanded that the people renew their covenant with them every seven years during that particular feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 31, there God is instructing his people in verses 10 through 12. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, notice, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, verse 11, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place. Now remember, the Feast of Tabernacles was one of three feasts that were required by every adult Jewish male. God had required that every adult Jewish male attend those feasts. So Feast of Tabernacles happened to be one of them. You shall read the law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women, and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear or reverence the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. So Solomon chooses this particular day because he is thinking about a covenant renewal. People at this time are just pouring their hearts along with Solomon. They're pouring out their hearts before the Lord, before God. You see, this day was much more than just another ritual dedication. 
It turned into a genuine expression of praise and a desire to serve God. You know, I think it would be good for all of us to take some time out regularly, and I'm encouraging you to do it a lot more than just every seven years, but just to review your commitment to serve God from time to time. Just take that time out. You know, as a reminder of what God has done, your relationship with Him, and the commitment that you made to serve Him, to want to know Him, to make yourself available, to do whatever you can possibly do to just further the kingdom of God upon the earth. So that's the first reason why this was a very special day. The second reason why this became a special day was because of what was carried into the temple. Let's go back to our text. Once again, let's read verses 3 and 4. So the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. And I would also remind you, according to the Old Testament, only the priests were able to handle the ark of the covenant. And they were the ones who were given the responsibility of carrying the ark into the holy of holies. So only the priest took up the ark. Verse 4, then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all of the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle, the priests and the Levites brought them up. Now what were the furnishings that were also brought into the temple at this time with the ark of the covenant? Well, first of all, there was the lampstand. Remember last time together, we talked about these different articles that were brought into the temple. The lampstand is the equivalent of a menorah. It was a larger menorah than any of us might have in our own homes. I have a menorah in my own home that was given to me, was brought back from Israel. But that menorah in the Old Testament dispensation represented the nation of Israel and how that they were a light to the world. That all of the surrounding nations would understand and realize the benefit in serving the God of Israel and how that Israel was to be a light unto the world. Now under the New Testament dispensation, the menorah or the lampstand represents the church. As a cross-reference for this, remember last time I talked about Jesus in the book of Revelation in chapter 2. When John, the beloved apostle, receives the revelation in the Lord's day and he's worshiping God and he from behind, he hears this sound like a blaring trumpet, and he turns in the direction from where that sound comes, and he sees Jesus dressed in the garments of a high priest standing in the midst of the menorah, which represents the church, even as Christ is amongst us standing in the midst of this church. So under the New Testament dispensation, if you will, the church also is to be a light unto the world, and all people are to once again, understand, even as it was in the days of the nation of Israel under the old dispensation, the benefit of knowing the God whom we serve. So that was the first article that was brought into the holy place, the lampstand. But then also, there was the table of showbread. On the showbread, there were 12 loaves. Each one represented the 12 tribes of Israel. They were actually in two stacks of six. And at every Sabbath, so on every seventh day, the priest would actually eat those 12 loaves, and then they would replace the loaves with new bread. And the table of showbread represented how that God provided for his people, how that he fed his people. And often Jesus even spoke of how that he is the bread of life, how that he provides for us and his people, 
And so that's the significance of the table of showbread. And then finally, also there in the holy place, the last article of furniture was the altar of incense. And they would burn incense before the Lord, and the smoke would rise up towards heaven, and God would receive it as a sweet savor unto himself. And remember last time I suggested that that is symbolic of our prayers rising up before the very throne of God, and God hears the prayers of his people. So those are the articles of furniture, the holy furnishings that were found in the holy place. Only the Ark of the Covenant was placed behind the veil, the Ark of the Covenant, in the most holy place, or the holy of holies. So, okay, so this is the second reason why this became a special day, was because of what was carried into the the temple. The Ark of the Covenant, the most important item to be transported into the new temple that Solomon had built. Borne by the priests, as I had mentioned, on long poles and placed behind a thick veil in the Holy of Holies, which separated, there was like two cubicles, right? There was the vestibule, then there was the holy place, and then the inner sanctuary was known as the Holy of Holies, but between the holy place and the Holy of Holies, there was this veil that separated the two, and it was behind that veil that the Ark of the Covenant was placed, and it was borne by the priests on long poles, placed behind the thick veil in the Holy of Holies, where the atonement was made. And the ark was the centerpiece of God's covenant with Israel. And on top was known as the mercy seat. And then you have the two cherubims facing one another and looking down upon the mercy seat. Now this is significant, and I'll give you the reason why in just a moment. So anyway, describing the ark of the covenant, it consisted of a box with a mercy seat above it and cherubim on each side, with their wings outstretched over the box, and all was overlaid with gold. Inside the box were the tables of stone, or the Ten Commandments, on which God had written those Ten Commandments. And this served as a visible representation of the presence of God among the people, through atonement of their sins by the shedding of blood. The Ten Commandments inside the ark represented God's holy character and God's demand for his people to be holy. And what we should take away from this is, you see, God is not ambivalent towards our sins. He doesn't look away pretending they're just not there. So what should we take away from this? Well, if we are to enjoy the presence in this life, that is the presence of God in our life, Well, God makes it plain, we must be holy. And gang, we mustn't ever lose sight of this. Because if we live a life that's unholy, we will forfeit the presence of God. And, you know, if we make that kind of a commitment each day, you know, just making sure that there's not anything that we're allowing to go on in our lives that's inconsistent with God's revealed word, you can be sure that you will sense the presence of God within your life. You'll know him to be there. You'll sense his hand upon your life, blessing you in everything that you put your hand to. And so don't do anything that would forfeit that presence. You know, I think a lot of people who are struggling in their walk in their relationship with the Lord is because they just lost the sense of the presence of God. But it goes right back to, it can be traced right back to the life that they're living. 
You see, God is a holy God, and God cannot be one with a person who is not holy, who hasn't made that commitment to live their life of holiness. And so we need to be very careful about that. We mustn't lose sight of this truth. And I also mentioned this last time, and I think it's worth mentioning again. You know, I think that there's a lack of teaching that demands God's people to live that life of holiness. You know, we have all of these feel-good messages about the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the long-suffering of God. And listen, all of those things are true, but we mustn't lose sight of what's really important, and that is holiness. God is a holy God, and he demands holiness of him from his people. Now, as Israel reflected upon God's demands for holiness, I'm sure that they were filled with despair. Why was that? Because they knew that they had constantly broken God's laws. I mean, you study the history of the nation of Israel, right? They would do good for a while, and then they would fall back into sin. They would fall back into idolatry. They would go after these other gods, and they had forgotten God. And then God would bring judgment upon them, and God used, insert, used that judgment to bring them back to that place of repentance. And then they would recommit their lives together. It was a never-ending process with Israel, right? Time and time again, you read the history of the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And unfortunately, that was true. And so anyway, they knew that they had constantly broken God's laws. And thus they stood under the sentence of eternal wrath. So what could they do? How would they deal with that? Well, all they needed to do was look to the Ark of the Covenant for that answer. Now, what am I talking about? Well, I find it quite interesting that the mercy seat on top of the Ark was exactly the same width as the box containing the law or the Ten Commandments. And that mercy seat was the place where the blood of atonement was sprinkled by the high priest on the annual day of atonement, or the Yom Kippur, as we know it today. This indicated that the blood of atonement perfectly satisfied the demands of God's law. So once a year, the high priest and him alone, only once a year, okay, no one else, only the high priest, would go beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies, and then he would sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat for the entire sins of the nation of Israel, the Day of Atonement. And that atonement perfectly satisfied the demands of God's law. It is also striking that the cherubim that are on top of the mercy seat, it is also striking that the cherubim were turned towards each other, each one looking down at the mercy seat. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my the book of 1 Kings opens with the death of King David and the rise of Solomon. When he was given a choice, Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom, and it pleased the Lord. From 1 Kings 3, 11 through 13, we read God's response. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself, 
long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. I give you a wise and discerning mind. I also give you what you have not asked, both riches and honor. What are you asking God for today? God was pleased with Solomon's request and gave him all he asked and more. Are your requests pleasing to God? We're so glad you've joined us here on In My Father's House as Pastor Mike Fenizio makes his way through the book of 1 Kings. This book is filled with rich history that shows us the character of God. Pastor Mike has a lot more to share with you as he continues through this book, and we have other messages stored for you on our website. Head on over to harvestnyc.org to find teachings on a wide variety of topics. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship, located in Midtown Manhattan. We're easy to find. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. You can check out our website for times. Well, we've come to the end of our time together today. Be sure to plan on joining us again next time for more from First Kings right here on In My Father's House. All my heart not be troubled.